well, who am I? It's a fundamental question we all ask. Uh, Most of us tend to deal with that question pretty heavily in about middle school where the whole world seems to be very confusing. Who am I? What do I like? What am I into? Who am I? Let me share a little bit about me. I love running. I run um, about five times a week. I run a long way, just a marathon months about a month ago. And so I, I love running. I love music. I have an eclectic taste in music. Um, if you know the Spotify raps, Spotify kind of takes all of your top artists and number ones and put, puts them in a list. And mine is everywhere from folk music to hip hop to Christian. I, I love it all. Um, My Little Pony, because I have an eight and six year old. And to be honest, My Little Pony has some bangers. You all need to check out My Little Pony. It's some good stuff. I, I, I love music. Uh, I love my family. I, t- I talk about them a ton. I'd, any day of the week, I'd prefer to be with them. I love sports. Uh, I love Denver sports teams. Grew up here, and so I'm a Denver sports fan. So guess who I'm cheering for in the Super Bowl, or more like cheering against. Uh, so we can all pray and uh, pray against the enemy uh, next week, number 15. Um, so some weird things about me, uh, you all found out about a couple months ago, I don't like uh, I never have. It's uh, gross bean water. I don't know why people drink it, uh, but I, I, I don't like coffee. I think what people really like, they don't really like coffee, sugar uh, and, and cream. And so that, that's what they really like. They don't really like coffee. Uh, just my opinion. Um, well, weird thing about me, found this out. I think we're a couple years into marriage that I don't eat the heads on gummy bears or animal crackers. So we were on a road trip. We had a bunch of animal crackers, and by the end of the road trip, there was just a, a slaughterhouse of heads decapitated. My sister tortured me when I was younger. She convinced me that they had brains in them, and to this day, it just grosses me out. Um, so I even do it on gummy worms. I just guess which side is the head and just pop that off. Um, <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a little weird, a little eclectic. I, who, who am I? Uh, maybe a better question for today is, who am I as a part of the community? And what I found is that a lot of people are searching for community. They use that catchword community in lots of different ways. This past week, I heard community at a brewery. Okay, I was at a brewery for a work event. Okay, I just don't hang out in breweries. But they talked about the great community that they have. And uh, maybe you're part of that type of community, the running club that I'm in, right? They, they talk about the community, that it's a community to be a part of. Last week, I, I got really into comic books. I don't, I don't know um, where this came from, but it's like, let me, let me go check out the comic book store. So go into the comic book store, and it is about what you guess it is, a bunch of people who really haven't grown past middle school, um, meaning they still haven't figured out the deodorant thing. And so with all these nerds, and I'm now one of these nerds, and they're talking about the comic book community that they have. Everyone is searching for community. I, I think this is a bigger issue than, than we think it is. I think that there's the community and find themselves as part of that community because it offers what other places have never offered. It offers a safe place to be yourself and to tell your story. So they wave the flag, not necessarily because of their sexual orientation, but because of the community that they're a part of. I know I got really heavy, really deep. We're not going to dive into that today, but people are searching for community. And so I want to ask the question, what defines us as a people? What defines us 
as a community? Maybe you've never asked that question, but I think it's so important to ask that question, especially here on a Sunday morning in what we call church. And so who am I? Who are we? And the reality is that God created us for this type of community. In the beginning, they said, God said that it is not good for man to be alone. And, and he, he meant in the context of that a wife, but he also meant that, hey, there's a community, that God himself is a community, the triune God in community. But he's also saying, hey, it, the way that I created you is for you to be with other people, to do life with other people. God created us for community. I heard this illustration not too long ago, and I loved it. And it was a work corporate illustration, but I think it applies to us today. And so here I have a a brick. And so I want to thank Pastor Drew. He ran out this morning and stole this brick from somebody's yard. (laughs) Kidding. He went to Home Depot, bought this bad boy for 13 cents. True story. He has the receipt, showed me. And so... The, the story goes that they're, they're a, a group of people and they're, they're out there and they're out there laying bricks. And so they, they look you know, grumpy and, and not content and uh, disengaged. And they go, you, this person goes and interviews them and says, why, what are you doing? And the individual goes, hey, I'm laying bricks. Then, then he walks to a, another group of people doing the exact same job and says, okay, what are you doing? He say, I'm, I'm building a wall, right? So I'm laying bricks. I'm, I'm doing this task one by one. And then the next person says, I'm, I'm building a wall. Maybe he sees a, a bigger picture of the vision. And then he goes to this next group of people who are the most productive group of people. They're the most engaged and says, what are you doing? And the man responds, we are building a castle. We are building a castle. And so I want to ask church, do we have that picture of church in our mind? Do we have a bigger picture of what we are doing? I don't think in, in general the, the church in America does. That's why church engagement is down. That's why a good regular attender attends church once a, every, once a month and once every four weeks. And so I think that we're disengaged because all we've been ever asked to do is to come, to face forward, and to sit. And have never been given the picture that we are building a castle. Say, I'm, I'm just laying bricks. Anyone can lay bricks. Anyone can do that, but we are doing something bigger. We are doing something better. This is two practices that typically in my church history have been done on my own, that I reflect when I take communion. I got baptized as a, as a symbol of an inward act, right? That these were acts that I did individually, but actually, they're, they're acts that tie us together. They're corporate acts. So the first one I want to point out is communion or the Lord's Supper. This is, this is an incredibly strange thing to do. In fact, the early church was kind of marked by this as a negative thing. Um, Justin Martyr, an ancient second century church apologist, said that there were three main accusations leveled against Christians by the Roman Empire. Number one, that they were atheists. They didn't believe in the Roman God, so these, these Christians were atheists. They didn't believe in... The second one was uh, incest, because they called each other brothers and sisters. 
and they were doing life together. This, this idea of a husband calling his wife sister, and it, it was really weird. And then the third practice was the Lord's Supper, because what they thought was happening was, was cannibalism. They thought that they were eating flesh and drinking blood. And this strange picture that we take once a month here at Forefront, this picture of communion is really strange. This is called a few different things. We've heard it called Eucharist, uh, old school, right? Maybe called the Eucharist. We've heard it called communion, the Lord's Supper. Um, in the early church, they called it the Agape Fest or the Love Feast. And some of you are like, I, I remember the 60s, the Love Feast. Nope, not that Love Feast. It was a different type of love feast. But when they got together, that's, that's what it was. That's what they celebrated. And, and Jesus talks about this. One of the last things that Jesus does on earth is he says, says this, is, and now as they were eating, right? So they were sharing a meal together as a community. It says that Jesus, he took the bread. He took it and he's, after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and says, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. Took a cup just like this, probably filled with wine. And after giving thanks, he said to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. So what is this? What is this thing that we do every month at church? What is this remembrance that we do? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Paul starts to break this down, the idea of communion, the Lord's Supper, and how does that fit in to community? He says this, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless is in the body of Christ. This idea that we are participating in the act that Jesus did for us, that he gave his body, that he poured out his blood for us. It's a remembrance, but it's also a participation that we do this together, that this act was never meant to be done alone. It is a remembrance. <clears throat> in the early church, remember, they called it a love feast, that, that in 1 Corinthians, he instructs them because they got so wild at the feast that some people were getting drunk. And we've solved that. Nobody's getting drunk today. We've solved this, this problem. It's like, you know, Aladdin where huge cosmic powers, tiny little lamp. <laughs> Nobody's, but it was this feast, this celebration. It wasn't just a somber moment, but it was a celebration. Let's celebrate all that God has done. Let's remember what he's done. Let's, let's talk about, let's celebrate the community that he's bound us in. It was this amazing celebration that they, they did together. And over time, that has, has shifted. And so forgive me for nerding out a little bit. I'm going to talk for a couple minutes about church architecture because church architecture really helps us figure out where the church has gone. And so the early church, right after Jesus, he gives this ordinance, some call it a sacrament. He gives this for us to do. And for the first about 300 years, the church did this together and they did it in homes because Christianity was illegal. And so I have uh, some slides up here, just uh, painting the picture a little bit of, of what these look like. These aren't 
depictions, right? Remember, they did not have iPhones, so they're not snapping pictures, uh, but these are depictions of what might have happened. And so they gathered together in people's homes. And I love this picture of what church is. There's a bunch of people intergenerationally coming together. What we see in 1 Corinthians is that the, that the poor were coming, and this was an act then of social justice, that they were coming together, and this was the way for the church to do justice in the world, to feed the hungry. They invited them into their homes. Can you imagine that, what, what that would look like? And so this started off in the home, and the, the centerpiece of the gathering was the table. They came together. They shared a meal. They ate. They drank. They celebrated. They remembered. They confessed their sins to each other. And this was the center of Christianity for about 300 years. And then it started to shift as Christianity became legal in the country. It shifted from the home to then the cathedral. And so these cathedrals, as the Catholic Church started to grow across the world, Catholic just meaning universal, started to grow across the world, it started to change. And it became more a practice of the elites. It was no longer people gathered around a table, but these buildings were shaped like a cross, and there were massive cathedrals that were built, and, and Christianity spread. But really, the, the services were done in Latin. Most people couldn't understand them. The acoustics were terrible. If I were to get up, you probably wouldn't understand anything that I would say, which didn't matter because it was in Latin anyway, and most people didn't, didn't speak Latin. And the center of this was then an altar. The meal devolved into a little drink of wine, given by a priest to an individual, given by an expert to a person. So we go from the table and the house to the cathedral and the altar. Then the Reformation happened. The, the scriptures then started uh, being, being taught in a language that was understood, and it, things start, started to shift in about the 1600s to the colonial style of church, which then focused more around a, a big pulpit and so there was a, a big pulpit, and it, it went back to, okay, let's focus on the Word of God and the preached Word of God, that that's what matters. The, the Bible was now accessible for people, and this is the direction <clears throat> that the church went. It was a, basically just a rectangle preaching box, that that's what it was. And, and over time, Music has always been a part of church, but then music started to creep in, and they, what, they just used the popular instrument of the day, right, which was an organ. I think we have one somewhere here in the church. And, and so there was an organ, and it started to, to change into, okay, we're coming to hear a preacher give us the word of God. And then it changed again recently due to entertainment culture to the, the theater style, which is what we're in today, right? There's a, a stage. A band, there's lights, and uh, entertainment culture has really changed this. There's now a big emphasis on music. We, we see that. Uh, every single church, well, most churches that you go to, will have about half of the, the ser service in uh, just music and singing and worshiping, and that, that's a good thing. And now it's, it's all uh, sloped, right? This building kind of sloped for acoustics so that you can hear the music and that you can worship and you can hear the word of God. And the, the gravity shifted then from the pulpit to the stage. We don't have a big pulpit up here anymore. I don't know. I've seen many people preach from a big pulpit anymore. It's, it's now a stage. 
And I think that that's even shifting now. I think the pandemic has caused that to shift. Okay, I go to a building and I go to a theater and I hear somebody preach to, I don't need to go there anymore. I can just watch. I can listen. I can put my headphones and I can... I can listen to the word of God while I'm doing dishes or whatever that looks like. And none of this is a, a bad thing. But you see the movement that I, I don't really need to, to go anywhere anymore. That's why church attendance has dipped to now I, I have everything I need right here. Uh, most Christians that I talk to don't just listen to one pastor anymore. They listen to four or five. I come and I listen to Drew and they'll listen to Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley and Tim Keller or whoever that is. I listen to multiple people. We're no longer taught by one person in the community. We're taught by many people. And so really, does, does my appearance on a Sunday morning really matter? I can still give, right? I can still be obedient in those ways. But I think it's shifting to something like this, where it's about my walk with Jesus. It's not about us together. And again, I'm not saying any of these things are terrible or, anything, or any of these things are bad. I'm just saying they're their reality. And so there are lots of things that we think right now are normal, but that were not always normal. It, was, it wasn't normal for hundreds of people to be facing a stage or people to be watching online and thank God that we have this technology. And these are not necessarily bad things, but it's telling that the original architecture of the church was built around this. Let's just remember what God has done for us. Not let me remember what God has done for me in my home. It's let's remember what God has done for us. And it's, it's interesting that the word Christian in the New Testament, right? I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a little Christ. I'm a follower of Christ is only used three times. It's used three times. What with two, more, far, two far more dominant words to describe you and I in our relationship with Jesus is number one, disciple, or you heard Darren's voice in the video, it's an apprentice. That, that These people are figuring out how to follow Jesus. It's used 268 times that, that we're apprentices together, that we're figuring this out together. We're students together. The other one that's used even more, 350 times, is the, this term brother or sister, it's used far more. So 350 times brother or sister, three times Christian, that, that we are to do this together. Check out uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 17. I think I have it there on the screen. <coughs> it says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we, for we partake of the one bread. Here's the picture of the church. You're one body. You're bound together. And so when you come together, you celebrate the one bread. You honor the one bread. You remember the, the one bread. We are one body. What we call church is by definition apprentices of Jesus who are bound together in one body. Check out uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't have this on the screen. I'm just going to go through this really quick. So 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, he, uh, Paul starts to talk about the Lord's Supper, and check out what he says. He says, <coughs> in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it. Then verse 20, when you come together, is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. 
And one goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in and drink? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? And, and so he's talking about this idea of when you come together, that this isn't a practice that you take by yourself, but it's a practice that you do together. He continues, um, we're, we're going to skip ahead. Uh, when you go, um, verse 28, he says, let a person examine himself. When he eats the bread and drinks the cup or anyone who comes together, that's why many of you who are, are weak and some of you have died, that, that Paul says, hey, this is so important. This is so important that some of you who are dishonoring this practice, that you're just eating on your own, you're drinking on your own, that, that some of you are weak and even ill and some of you have died. Do, do we really place that kind of weight on this practice? I don't think so. He, he continues, and, and this is what we call church, right? That, that God takes this sin so seriously and it's impossible to really do this alone. He continues in, Chapter 12, verse 26, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Wait, is that, is that really fair? That your personal relationship with Jesus can suffer because somebody else in the body of Christ is, can, is suffering. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't know it, maybe they're struggling with sin, but your faith suffers because they suffer? Is that, is that fair? I talked to my, I'm coaching a second and third grade basketball team, and I talked to them about this because I was like, hey, what do, you, what do you guys think? Is this fair? Like, oh, no, it's not fair. And I said, well, is it fair that one person on the team, if they step over the line when they're passing in a ball, that the penalty is called on the whole team? Is that fair? I'm like, yeah, that's kind of fair. That we're all responsible together? Is, is that the picture that we have of church? Or is it, I'm coming, let's see what I get today, okay? Is it, is it Mitch preaching? Is it Darren preaching? Is it Drew preaching? I have my favorite preacher. I have my favorite preacher. But is your picture of church? No, I'm, I'm coming together because there are people here who are dependent on me. There are people here that this body is dependent on your gifts. And when we don't get them, we don't receive them, you're not operating in them, that all of us suffer? Could it be that the, the church in America is suffering because we've made it so dependent on one person and their gifts and what they do? They all came together. And I'm not saying that the church should be your identity. I'm saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, it already is. That you are a part of the, the body of Christ. That's what we call the church. It's impossible to do this alone. There's a Kenyan uh, scholar, his name is John Mbate. He says, I am because we are. Because we are, therefore I am. What if we took this picture of church? I read a, a pew a research study this week, it just came out this week, that said that um, only one-third of Americans view pastors as ethical and trustworthy. One-third of people, that's Christians uh, too, view pastors as trustworthy and ethical. And I think this is what we've done, is that we've taken the pastor 
and we put them on the pedestal. And we said, okay, pastor, you operate in your gifts. And I'll come and I'll listen and I'll engage. I'll serve every now and then. I'll, I'll get in a group, whatever, whatever you ask me to do, I'll, I'll do. But we've put so much weight on the pastor. Pastor, you lead it. What is it that the, the church in America, we call our time a service, as if the pastor is here to give you goods and services. And so we put so much weight on these pastors and we wonder why the church crumbles. We wonder why pastors crumble, why they have an affair, why they do this, why they fail morally. It's because we put so much weight on them that they cannot hold it. They cannot hold the weight of all of everyone's expectations. Can you imagine what it's like to preach every single week, the heaviness and the weight of that? It was never meant to be that way. What was supposed to happen is that all of us together are supposed to bear that weight. Okay, one third of people view pastors as reliable. Well, you know who doesn't know a pastor is that your friend at work. It doesn't matter if they view a pastor as reliable because you know what? They view you as reliable because you have the relationship with them. It's not about me or Drew or Darren, or Kev, or professionals who do this, but together we bear the weight of the church. Only together can we bear that kind of weight. And so church, what are we going to do? As we take this practice together, this is what I want to do. I want you to take the cup, right? And this is a symbol of the meal. We're not taking a whole meal, but it's a symbol. So I want you to take this cup, and I want you to, to go ahead and I want you to t- take that bread out or a little tiny cracker. I just want you to examine it. And this is why we do this together. This is why we don't just say, hey, go ahead and take this on a Wednesday by yourself and reflect. We take this together. It's a practice that we do together. What if this looked like the agape feast as we come together as a family and we celebrate and remember the work that binds us together? And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, it says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. You all proclaim his death until he comes. And so there's another practice in the way of Jesus that I want to I want to talk about I want to celebrate today and that's the practice of baptism. And so what is baptism? I know kind of a awkward transition, but I want to make sure that we cover these two practices that typically we do as individuals and say, okay, what is it that binds us together in community? So baptism it's an outward expression of an inward faith. I love what Max Lucado says. He says, baptism is bowing before the Father and letting him do his work. Baptism is saying, okay, God, I'm giving up 
all of my control. I'm giving up all that I am, all the things that, that make me fall short. I'm dying to self and I'm rising again in Christ. This is an expression of your union with Christ in his death as you go under the water, saying, I'm dead to that old self and raised to life in Christ. It's being immersed in the water in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you have probably been sprinkle baptized. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. And so I just want to encourage you today that those are, those are practices. Those are, those are good. Maybe other traditions uh, do those practices. We would say we're not cutting off fellowship with those people who, who practice that way. But what we see in scripture is that baptism is by immersion because the symbol is there that Jesus was baptized. The word baptized literally means to immerse, right? It, it means to go under the water. And the picture there is that I this way, I live this way, and then I'm, I'm baptized, I'm put under the water, I'm, I'm now dead to that old self, and now I raise to life, to new life in Christ, and I'm, I'm baptized then into a community that is holding me accountable, I'm baptized into a community that, that I'm now living as a part of something new, a part of something bigger, a part of something better. It is a sign of belonging to a new people of God. And Jesus told us to do this. Um, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, uh, the, the great mission, uh, something that we talk about all the time as, as a church. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What's the first step of an apprentice of Jesus? It's to be baptized. The very first thing that Jesus asks his new apprentices, his new disciples, his followers to do, the very first step of obedience is, okay, show people that you are now dead to sin and alive in me. The very first thing. Making disciples means baptizing them. Paul expands on this in Romans chapter 6. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That he died the death that we can never die. And so when we baptize under the water, we're, we're identifying with the death that Jesus died. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too, what? Walk in the newness of life. We walk together in the newness of life. In the larger scope, it's clear that baptism is not the work that saves us, but it's a sign that we trusted in the work that saved us. It's a sign that we trusted in Jesus. When I proposed to Anna, when I got down on one knee at Gray's Peak, uh, and I asked her to marry me. I, I proposed with what? A ring. And was the ring a, the, the thing that made us married or the thing that engaged us? No, it was her yes. But it would have been pretty weird if she's like, actually, I don't, I don't want the ring. Like, I don't want to show people that I'm actually engaged to you. I just, I want to be engaged to you. I mean, what would it look like if I just never wore this? If I just like, no, nah, I don't want to wear, I don't want to show that I'm, I'm married to you. Like, what would that look like? Like the marriage probably would not go well. 
It'd be like, what, what are you actually doing? Are you really going to work? What's happening out there? Let me check your text messages. It, that, okay, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you not showing the symbol? It would have been a little weird if she rejected it. I remember the day of our wedding. I was a 24-year-old bachelor on Friday morning. By Friday night, I was now married. And did I know anything about being married? Absolutely not. You can ask my wife. There are tons of mistakes that I made along the way of being married. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life living up to what is already true. And that's what baptism does. It's the, the sign that Jesus did this work for you. And then we spend the rest of our life remembering that sign of what he did. We live up to what is already true. This is what Paul says. He says, you're holy, you're blameless, you're sons, you're daughters, you're united with Christ and his burial and resurrection. He says in Colossians chapter two, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith. And this is why, specifically, we don't baptize babies. We don't baptize babies because they have not made this decision yet to trust in Jesus. They, they have not been buried with him in baptism. They, and so I understand the, the tradition of baptizing babies. I served in a Presbyterian church where, where that's what they did. They sprinkled babies, and, and that's a good practice. I actually admire that practice. Because when they, they perform that practice, they say, okay, church is a covenant community. We're committed to raising this child in the faith. I think that's a very good thing. But that's not what biblical baptism is. Biblical baptism is saying, okay, I'm dead with Christ. And now I'm dead in, in his burial and I'm alive together with Christ. It's a powerful working of God that raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 2, a couple more. Now when they, they heard this, so... so the, the gospel's going out, it's spreading, right? And people heard the good news. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, I believe this, I trust this. I, I know that Jesus rose from the dead for my sins. What do I need to do? What's the first step? He says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, it's not the baptism that saves you. It's the, it's the picture, right? Like the, the blood of Jesus is a picture. The, the actual blood is not the thing that saves us. It's the, it's the work that saved us. We're, we're not walking around here with, with that picture, but we're, we're walking around in the fullness of what he did for us. So he said, repent of you, baptize every one of you. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's when that baptism happens, when that, say, I'm saying, okay, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ. That's when you receive the Holy Spirit. And there is no second baptism. There's just baptism. When you trust in Jesus for the first time, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. And you learn to operate in those gifts you learn to operate in the spirit, but there is no second baptism where you get more gifts or, or more things. There, there's just trusting in Jesus and being baptized. So I want to encourage you this morning that failing to be baptized is serious. It's serious. It's the very first thing that Jesus commands of his new apprentices. 
And when you step into the way of Jesus, you get a new identity. You get a new family. You're now called conduits of God, of his mission here on earth. You get a new reason to wake up every morning. And so as I'm about to close in this prayer, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. If you have not yet trusted in Jesus, and listen, this, this morning we know has been, has been rough. There's a, a snowstorm. The streets are icy. We knew that it took you to get here. The lights weren't working. Things this morning did not go well. But we believe and we prayed as a church that there's somebody in here this morning who needs to make this decision to be baptized to trust in Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, you're saying, hey, I've not yet trusted in Jesus. I want to identify with him in his death and in his resurrection. This is what I want you to do. Pastor Drew is going to be out in the lobby. We have t-shirts. We have uh, shorts for you. We have everything that you need. We're going to give you some space here to, to contemplate. But if you're trusting in Jesus for the first time, I want to encourage you to take that first step of obedience and step into the waters. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, okay, I trusted in Jesus a while ago. I, I understand the gospel, but I've never been baptized. I encourage you to step into that today. Don't delay. This is the day for you to publicly proclaim your relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're, you're saying, I'm saved and you've been, you've been baptized and uh, you're like, okay, this, this doesn't apply to me. I've already done this act. It doesn't apply. This is what I want you to do is remember your baptism. Remember what you're walking in. Remember the community that you are a part of. When somebody is baptized, church, from, from this point on, and maybe you're already doing this, when somebody steps into these waters, I want us to take accountability as a church and say, I'm going to help them in their walk with Jesus. I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to be part of this community. I'm going to help integrate them. I'm going to help them operate in their gifts. What if we operated like that? I've always believed that the strongest churches are churches that have strong abs, adult baptisms that stick, adult baptisms that stick. We baptize lots of kids, but the strongest churches are churches that have strong abs. And so church, that's what I want us to commit to is loving people. And so I have a, a few different things that we're going to put on the screen. And, uh, and so if today, during this next song, if you said, I have never been baptized, today is the day to take that step of obedience, to take that step into the waters. Pastor Drew is going to explain what that is. We're going to pray for you. We're going to get you changed. And then we're going we're gonna to baptize people, hopefully here in a few minutes. But I, I just have a few different practices that I want to put up on the screen as, as we walk out this morning. Some real handlebars for us to take as, as and we go as we talked about these two things. The first one is I want you to share a meal with a brother or sister. <coughs> so what the early church did. That, that's what it was built around. Share a meal with a brother or sister. The second thing is I want you to reimagine your table. What, what does that look like? Are you, are, you doing, are you sharing meals with people? Are you practicing hospitality? Reimagine your table. And maybe you're in a stage of life where you're like, it doesn't make sense for us to invite people over. You know what? There are tables at great restaurants all around the community that have great food and drink. Just gather with people. 
around good food, good drink, good conversation, and a faith that binds us together. Then the third thing that I want us to do is I just want us to remember your baptism. Remember the work that Jesus did for you. Remember. I want to close with this verse here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, but you, he's talking about the church, talking about you all together. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What he doesn't say is that you are a chosen person. You are a royal priest. You are a holy person. And he says, no, you together are this. Together you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received 